Prepare yourself to invest a few minutes with the Make Each Click Count podcast to discover new details in how to accelerate your sales and profits while making sure you're getting the absolute most out of your online marketing dollars. Hosted by Andy Spiegel, who's been running paid click campaigns for his clients for 20 plus years. Join us and discover what's working today and start making each click count. Without further ado, here's the acclaimed author of the Make Each Click Count book series, the founder of True Online Presence, the founder of Make Each Click Count University, and the host with the most, Andy Spiegel. Welcome to the Make Each Click Count podcast. This is your host, Andy Spiegel, and we are happy to welcome this week's guest to discuss today's topic, which is... Can I patent it? What e-commerce companies should know about trademarks, copyrights, and patents? Today's guest has over 30 years as an intellectual property attorney, and he's here to discuss patents, intellectual property, and a whole lot more. A big welcome to Dan Kimball. Hi, Dan. Hey, great to see you, Andy. Hey, so let's start with what is intellectual property, and when does it become important to protect it? Yeah, intellectual property is just basically a, a basket that contains types of properties that are distinguished from like real property, like real estate or stocks. So it's it's products of the mind. So it it's generally cons- uh, considered to include four main categories. The first is patents, and those are um, inventions like um, chemicals, uh, business processes uh, that are new and unobvious. Um, things like that. And then the next is uh, trademarks. Trademarks are source identifiers. So if, uh, you know, we see the double arches, we know it's McDonald's. And what we hear the ultimate driving machine, that's a slogan. It's a trademark from BMW. So it carries with it goodwill. So if you have a product or service, American Airlines, Apple, Apple, whatever, it people hear it and they go, oh, we can trust this provider of goods or services. So it's very valuable as a carrier of goodwill. Uh, third category of IP is copyrights. And those are artistic works. So if you write music, if you produce a podcast, record it, movies, TV, books, uh, website contents, those are all copyrights. And copyrights, we can get into more detail uh, further on in this conversation. Uh, and then the last kind is considered trade secret. So these are things that have value because they're kept secret. So if you have a secret formula for your fried chicken or for your carbonated beverage, um, you know, those can be trade secrets and they're, they can be very valuable. Um, sometimes trade secrets are the way to go instead of patents or other kinds of protection. Um, copyrights and patents are actually specifically mentioned in the US Constitution when we were when this country was founded the founders realized that those are very important to the development of a modern society protecting copyrighted works and also inventions hmm. in fact uh, uh uh president lincoln actually got a patent so the only president really? that ever got a patent what was his patent for it was for a device for lifting sunk boats so that was a big deal during the uh Civil War, a lot of boats were getting sunk and he figured out a way how to lift them up. So so that's great. I mean, it's it's good to start with, I don't know if I've ever really thought about the distinction between those, the trademark copyright patent. I didn't even know you could get, um, uh, what was it, your secret sauce protected? 
Yeah, yeah. Trade secrets are very big, trade secrets. actually. So what comes into play most for, for e-commerce companies between those trademarks, uh, copyrights, I would patents, say that uh, for e-commerce companies, um, unless they're, you know, the building or launching a product, um, they're usually um, like their copyrights on their content and their trademarks. Like if they have a name for their um, commerce site, you know, that's very important. Um, and those tend to get copied a lot. People try to get close, but not too close. And then their content, you know, whatever they provide, um, some people try to copy that again, get as close as possible. Um, so those tend to be the two most important types of of content of, of IP for e-commerce companies. And do you let's take a trademark? Do you need to file something for your trademark? Or is it enough to be first? I mean, let's get take make each click count, make each click count podcast. Right. If somebody else started the Make Each Click Count podcast, and we've been going here for you know four or five years, what would be my um, would I have any rights? Yeah, you you have rights. Uh, cup, uh, trademarks are their strength is by virtue of use. So there's two or three main types of uh, trademarks. One is federally and state registered trademarks. So you can get a trademark in California and each other state in the country provides for Cal you know, like a California trademark. Um, and then there's also federal trademarks. The difference is if you get a federal trademark, it covers you in the entire country. If you only have a California trademark, it only covers you in California. And there's something else called common law trademarks. And those are, you just get by virtue of using a, a, a trademark. In fact, one of my early cases when I was just starting out as an IP attorney was a company called Duro, uh, Duro Bag. And if you look at uh, paper bags, a lot of times you'll see the brand on it. Back then, this was a long time ago, they didn't have a trade, a federally registered tra trademark. One of my clients was trying to uh, register a mark that was similar, and they got a cease and desist letter. They didn't know that there was a registered trademark, and there wasn't, but there was this other company. So my client was trying to sell plastic bags, and Duro said, no, no, we have common law rights. So uh, we ultimately settled the case, but um, after that, immediately uh, after that, they uh, Duro bag got a trademark, federal trademark for, for Duro. So yeah, you can have common law rights, even if you don't have a registration. So the thing about common law rights versus, let's say, a federal mark is if you only have common law rights and somebody in, um, let's say, uh, east of the Rockies is doing a restaurant that's close, to, you know, that's the same name as yours, mm -hmm. uh, you don't have any rights to stop them. But if you had a federal re registration, let's say Applebee's, and you operated like maybe in... Um, you know, west of the Rockies and somebody started doing business east of the Rockies, you could stop them because it gives you federal rights over the whole country. Uh, and then um, you might be asking, why would there be state trademark rights? Federal rights require that there's use like in commerce across the states because it's governed by federal law. So um, if you are only locally located it, or let's say it's something that's not permitted under federal law, like right now, um, uh, marijuana is not legal under federal law. So California allows um, regist uh, trademark registrations on pot brands, Got uh, different brands of pot, but uh, the federal government doesn't. So for now, uh, clients are getting 
California State and Colorado State and some other state, Oregon State trademarks for brands of um, marijuana and edibles and things like that. So they they all have their place. But to, to go back to your question, you know, you have rights just by virtue of using it. But if you uh, went through the registration process, you could get a federal trademark for um, your mark. What, what about internationally? Yeah, international is its own system. So uh, whatever rights you have for any kinds of uh, IP, except for copyrights, are all based on the nation. So they're all granted by the sovereign, whatever country it is or region. So you could get a uh, U.S. patent or a U.S. copyright or, a, or excuse me, a U.S. trademark that covers you in the U.S. But if you uh, have somebody who's using uh, a trademark or a um, patent in another country, there's no rights to stop them. So if, for example, if a Chinese company makes a knockoff product that would knock off your U.S. patent but sells it in Europe, unless you have a European patent or a, a patent in China, you can't stop them. Got it. So let me ask you um, a question that happened to, to a client of mine and see what their, um, I guess, what their options are. I think this might be interesting, especially for e-commerce companies, because this this can happen. But so they're an online company mostly. They sell ninety-five percent of their sales are online, mm -hmm. and they've recently had another website. They come and took their name instead of .com, put it .net. They're using their name. They're using their pictures. They're using their products. Um, whether or not they're shipping it out, I you know they nobody knows. But they're mm -hmm advertising what they're selling using the same descriptions, the same images, and they're advertising it at like 20% of the price. Yeah. Yeah. What options would you have in that situation? Yeah. Well, first of all, you, you know, first question you have to ask is what rights are there and what rights are being infringed? So it sounds to me like you've described copyright infringement because there's mm -hmm. images, text or content on websites. Well, and I would think trademark infringement too. And trademark, they're... of course, mm -hmm. they're using the same, you know, mark source identifier. So the the purpose for a trademark is to avoid consumer confusion. So that harms consumers that you know, it's actually a huge problem with all of these counterfeit goods like counterfeit medicines that people think they're buying, you know, authentic drugs that have all right. the quality control and they're not. So, and then also somebody buys um products uh, from a company thinking they're buying the authentic product and then they get this defective product or dangerous product. I've had many clients who've been found out about infringement when their customers say, hey, I bought one of your products and it just failed really quickly. And then they find out that isn't our product. Where'd you find it? And then that's how we find out there's an infringement yeah. on when something goes wrong. And, you know, obviously there's nobody, there's no quality person standing behind that, you know, counterfeit product. So what what is the, I mean, what are the steps to eliminate that? Yeah, well, basically, you know, at that point, you know, once it's already occurred, first thing you have to do is basically either sue them directly or send them a cease and desist letter. Now, but this, this is a international person doing it inside the U.S. Okay. Well, if they're international uh, doing it in the U.S., they might must have some kind of U.S. presence. And usually you go after that. Uh, absent that, you basically have to go after them in their own country if they don't have a presence in the U.S. 
if they're like a vendor on one of the you know major platforms like Amazon, Amazon and Etsy and eBay have tools to use to stop infringement. Um, that's very good. So you could use those kind of tools uh, to do that. There's some other tools depending on you know exactly what the goods or services are. So there's a variety now, of tools. If somebody came to you, is that something you could help them with? Yeah, yeah, we do that all the time. And, Absolutely. And is that based just on an hourly charge? For, I mean, how how is that? How is that? Yeah, it's up? usually hourly because um, you know we can't really tell what the other side's going to do. If the other side just stops immediately, it's you know maybe a letter is all that takes. But oftentimes infringers are just persistent and they will just keep infringing until they you know have the gun against their head, the triggers pulled, and the you know the shells coming out of the the nozzle. So it just depends on what the other side does. If they're reasonable, they stop. If they don't, then it can go on. And sometimes it, you know, lawsuits have to be filed before people really get the message. And do you ever contact um, where their domain is hosted at? Yeah, there's there's domain name dispute procedures that can be used if somebody has secured a domain that's too close to yours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's another that's another tool. They use the domain uh, dispute procedures. And I mean, that's somebody copying the whole site. But I mean, we talked about it a little bit. And, you know, the early 2000s, I worked for an e-commerce company. And the biggest problem and mm -hmm. might still be going on, but Ugg boots, you know, those uh, sheepskin boots that yeah. mostly Uggs, women wear. Like yeah, Uggs, Uggs right. Yeah. Yeah. And those, the amount of counterfeiting coming out of China sold in the U.S., I mean, it was... You know, I mean, it was probably almost one to one that was advertised on Amazon. How would a company like UGG, or if somebody's doing that to your product, mm -hmm. if you're getting big enough, I mean, what what are the steps, and and can you do it yourself, or do you need an attorney? Well, I mean, a lot of it can just be it can be handled internally in the company. They have to set up the proper procedures. Um, I've had different clients. Like I had a client one time. Um, they're no longer a client, but um, they had a problem. They made. Um, of this uh, advanced flooring and it would snap together. So it was like really easy to install, uh, durable. And um, so they were getting a lot of knockoffs coming from China. And um, so what they did is they instituted a process where they had stickers, like a 3D hologram stickers. And so they would monitor the vendors and the vendors would know like if it doesn't have the hologram and a serial number, you know, they it was not the authentic good. Um, so that helped a lot. Um, there's different, you know, there's a whole lot of things that can be done. Um, you know, like, first of all, register your trademark. Uh, one thing that Custom and Border Protection does, if it's actually physical goods, is you can identify in, in known infringers. And if somebody is shipping goods um, on a container, they have to identify the contents. So if, if, uh, Custom and Border Protection sees that a shipment's coming in and it's having counterfeit or you know mislabeled goods, they will stop it at the border. And I've represented clients on both sides. And if your client, if you're the guy who has a trademark they're not supposed to be using, your goods are going to be seized and you're not going to get it out and you're going to have to pay to have it destroyed. So it's it's very, very difficult to get seized goods unseized. So that's one great thing. Register your trademark or your copyrights with customer and border protection. Uh, a lot of my clients do that, and it's very effective. And they can do it themselves. 
you know, I guess it surprised me if you're relying on a government agency to enforce your rights. Um, how how do they even know that a well, copyright? Well, because you can let's say you know like that there's some certain factory in China or a company, and and you can usually figure this out. You know, with time, you can tell Custom and Border Protection, and then they will they will send notices out to all the ports, and then if a shipment comes in. They're going to be able to seize the shipment, so that that happens all the time, and it works very well. Um, so well, I guess, yeah, I mean, the, what's the saying? The the biggest form of flattery is imitation. So right. I guess this is it's good. I mean, it's you're successful, but boy, it sure sounds like it's going to. Be I, I don't think it's that good, actually. I mean, it it's like uh, imitations that are you know people think they're buying the real thing. Yeah. You know, obviously, a lot of times it's not the same quality. And then how the quality control and then the brand gets damaged if somebody's shipping, you know, boots, Uggs that fall apart right away after, you know, three wearings or something. So let's go back to, to somebody who's just starting out in a business. Mm -hmm. How do you know if your idea is patentable? Yeah, well, um, you know, in order to be patentable, an idea has to be new and it has to be unobvious. So new means it can't have been invented before. So it doesn't have to be patented. It just has to be out there. So a lot of times people come with an idea and they go, wow, I just thought of this and um, I want to patent it. And well, my first question is, well, you know, do you, are you aware of anything else that's close to it? And um, sometimes they say, yeah, I got the idea for this. So the second hurdle for getting a patent is not just being new, but it has to be unobvious. So if you um, take a pencil and you say, well, the pencil has an eraser on the end. At one point, pencils didn't have erasers on the end. So somebody had the brilliant idea of putting a, a grommet, a metal grommet, and sticking an eraser on the end. That was probably patented, you know, 150 years ago or something. But now that idea is really old. And if let's say I say, oh, you know, I'm going to put a little light at the end so I can see where I'm writing. And we have pens like that it would be obvious because, well, maybe nobody ever made it or sold it, but it would be like, well, we have pens that have a light on the end. So it'd be obvious to put a light on the end. So the first inquiry is like, is it is it even patentable? A more important question though is, well, a lot of things could be patented, but can you make any money from it? If you're not gonna make money from your patents, then I always tell clients, you know, why don't you just take that money and take a nice vacation? Cause it's gonna cost you a lot of money to go through the patenting process. So you got to figure out- How much out, money does how much money does it cost to go through the patent process? To, to get a to get an average patent, it's probably anywhere from 10 to $50,000. And it depends on the complexity. Some things are simple and they're easy and they're like completely new and there's not a lot of action at the patent and trademark office. So those might be the lower end. If you're in a technology that's very crowded, where there's a lot of other stuff that the patent office has to consider, and you're trying to get an aggressive claim, let's say that protects you really broadly, those cost more because you're fighting a lot with the trademark or the patent office. So you're gonna to have to do a lot more work. And so. so you had mentioned that you wanna make sure that you're you're able to sell it. How, how do you recommend people do that research? Yeah, I think that you know a lot of it can be done you know, in-house or by yourself. It's just basically do like surveys of the marketplace. Like what other uh, 
what other alternatives are there? I mean, we don't really live in a vacuum. There's, a, If you're thinking of something, somebody else is probably thinking of something like you invent something and it's going to provide a solution to a problem, right? Like um, I have a new kind of a router or something and it's going to be smaller. It's going to use less electricity. It's going to be cheaper. It's going to have high th higher throughput. It's going to look beautiful. You know, it has certain features and benefits. And if it doesn't have enough, um, you know, you're you're fighting against inertia, right? So people have something that works and it's cheap enough and they're familiar with it. So there's all the hurdles to getting people to say, why would I buy this new product from this company I don't know about? It has to have sufficient, you know, improvements. And even then it may not work because um, there's a lot of great inventions that never are commercially successful because, you know, there's not enough money for marketing. There's not good branding. They can't manufacture it. They can't at, at scale. Um, the leadership sucks. You know, there's just so many ways to fail and a lot fewer ways to succeed. So um, I guess going back to how do you know, you, you first have to know what the competition is like what your advantages are, what you can offer. Can you scale it? Can you build a company? And if you can't do all those things, it's unlikely that you're going to succeed. And then at that point, you have to say, am I really the right person to do it? Or maybe I need to partner with someone else to help me with it. But um, it's a big endeavor to do any, even a little simple thing is a lot of work. What about those late at night commercials for, um patent companies saying you know if you have an idea give us a call and we'll we'll get the patent for you yeah i i hate them with a passion in fact one reason i started my uh can i patent.com was you know in 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 opposition to that because i've had many clients over the years and i've been doing this for over 30 years that have been started out at those uh late night tv shows that invent tech or some you know there's the guy the caveman, you know, carving a, a wheel out of stone. It's the same people behind those things. They get shut down by the, you know, the Federal Trade Administration, Federal Trade Commission. And then they start up another company with a slightly different name. And they have high pressure salesmen who tell everybody, oh, yeah, it's a great invention. It's patentable and we'll promote your invention for you but they get a very poor quality patent that's probably not worth getting. Um, and then they have an inventor fair where there's a bunch of other of their clients at a big trade show and then nobody comes and, you know, very, very few of them actually license. One major invention promotion company who I will not name uh, was as part of a lawsuit in the past had to publish their statistics and something like only 1% of their inventors who paid, you know, a lot of money got their money back. You know, they oh, made wow. as much money by their, you know, and it was something like fifteen dollars to $20,000 on average. So only about 1% of the people who were clients got that much money back from their inventions. So it's extremely rare that, you know, people make their money back. So they're a scam. They're high pressure. Uh, when I was a young guy, a long time ago, I checked out to say, how could I like write, how could I write patents for one of these companies? And I inquired and it turned out, you know, they pay very little. They're hiring guys who don't, you know, very junior, 
who will do it on you know for the cheap and uh the quality of the work is is pretty terrible so you get what you pay for but actually you get a lot less than you pay for with uh, invention promotion company so uh run away if you are thinking about it just don't go go don't go there how careful do you need to be with sharing ideas before you get a patent i mean how how much do you need to use ndas you know, when you go into your attorney's office, I mean, where where do NDAs come in handy with a new idea? Yeah, NDAs are, uh, that's not non-disclosure agreements or NDAs or confidential disclosure agreements, pretty much the same thing, just two names. Um, they are agreements that basically um, uh, create a contractual right when you disclose something confidential to a third party that they will not use it inappropriately. So, um uh, having NDAs is, is quite important because it just puts the other side on notice that you regard what you're disclosing to them as being confidential and having value, and they're not to use it for any inappropriate purpose. Um, a few years ago, I had a client who got a patent, will file a patent for um, a cake pan that was unique, and it was it was being pretty commercially successful. She went to a manufacturer and uh, the manufacturer made these cake pans for her. She didn't have a patent at that time. Um, and um, she didn't have an NDA. The manufacturer, what they did is basically copied her and started selling it on the side. Oh, wow. And they could out, you know, undercut her. And she never was able to obtain a patent. The prior patent was poorly drafted and it could never be fixed. I tried to fix it. It was finally rejected. So she had no patent rights. She didn't have an NDA. She didn't have any proof. So basically, in a lawsuit, she lost, and that uh, th that manufacturer made all the money from her invention. So yeah, it does happen. There's there's some bad people who will steal your invention. So before disclosing any of your good ideas, get the other side to sign an NDA. That'll protect you. It'll tell the other side that you think this is, you know, um, your it's confidential. If they don't want to sign it, you can. You have two choices. You could either say, well, I'm willing to take a risk, or you can say, no, it's not worth it. I don't trust these people. And if somebody won't sign it, your hackles should go up. Your, your radar should go up because why won't they sign it? Like a lot of big companies won't because they say, oh, we have a lot of, we have an invention department. We have a lot of inventions. We don't want to be sued by some you know, local yokel who thinks they invented what we already invented. Uh, that may be legitimate, but maybe not. Um, I've seen a lot of big companies steal inventions from smaller people. So I don't particularly trust large entities any more than I trust small entities or individuals. So, you know, trust but verify and NDAs are a great way to do it. And they be, should be signed before the disclosure happens. How solid cloud does your NDA need to be? I mean, is it something you need to have an attorney create for you? Is it something you can download for free off of the internet? A lot of, you know, you can do it, download off the internet, and it's going to be probably generic and it's probably okay. I've seen a lot of uh, NDAs that aren't good. Like they have time limits, which aren't necessary. Um, they don't describe the, prop the property properly. Uh, recently, a client asked me to look at an NDA, which was, was called a mutual NDA, but it was actually a one-way NDA that was very one-sided to this other side. So uh, 
had that client just said, yeah, we'll sign it, they would have been really in trouble because now their rights would be compromised by this other side that was frankly a little unscrupulous. And just from the tone of it, I would be, uh, I think they were paranoid and they'd probably sue them if anything came up. So I'd say it's probably better to have somebody just at least look it over to make sure it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been fascinating. How, I'm curious, how did you get into this line of work? Yeah, well, actually I was a, a chemistry major at UCLA and I always wanted to be a scientist, but as I was going through the process, I got my my bachelor's and then my advisor was saying I should stay on and get a master's degree. And I just evaluated that and said, a master's degree in chemistry is, is not very valuable. I would have to get a PhD. At that point, I was tired of school. I didn't want to go through, you know, a four to six year program to get a PhD and be stuck in a lab. So uh, one of our neighbors in my neighborhood growing up was a patent attorney. So he invited me to his office and I thought he said, you know, it's great because you can get to wear a suit and um, you work in a nice office, you make pretty good money and you can be around science, but you don't have to do it. So I thought, ah, that's fantastic. So I I went to his office. I loved it and uh, uh, went to law school and uh, became a patent attorney. So and how do you make the process of protecting intellectual property easier for your clients? Well, I try to be very uh, transparent. Like, you know, a lot of times people will ask me, should I do something? And I'll tell them, quite frankly, no. Like, for example, patents, um, unless they know that there's a business, you know, scenario, a viable business scenario, I'll usually say, you know, you should do the business plan, the financial plan before you really worry about patents because, you know, it's not just to get a patent. There's a lot of patents that never make money. In fact, most of them. So you should figure out, you know, how likely you are to make money. Um, uh, some things uh, like copyright applications, I usually tell clients, you can do that yourself. If you want your handheld, I'll help you with the first one. But after that, you can usually do them yourself. Uh, trademarks, you know, uh, people think they can do good searches and they usually don't. So um, I usually recommend, you know, you should probably have a professional help you with trademark searching. Um, so yeah, I help I help people decide, you know, whether, you know, the cost benefit of what they're doing and then help them in the areas that they need help and other areas I can just say, you know, you should do this, you can do it yourself, or maybe, you know, there's different ways to do it to save money. You know, money is not unlimited. And so you have to, you know, weigh carefully how you spend it, especially if you're a you know a new company with un, not unlimited budget. So I help them decide like what should be done and you know the best the best best uh, rollout of your dollars to get the you know most bang for your buck. And how can an interested listener has a great idea perhaps, but how how can they get in contact with you? Uh, there's a couple ways. Um, you can contact me uh, through uh, my Facebook page, which is facebook.com backslash can I patent it? And then also through my law firm and the website there is www.kbisandboy-ip.com. So those are two ways to reach me. And if you Google my name, I come up um, and you can find me that way as well. Well, this has been really, um, really fascinating and I, I think very useful for, for our listeners. Is there anything else you'd like to add today before we go ahead and wrap it up? Um, well, I guess, uh, you know, 
uh, if you if you don't succeed at first, try try again. Uh, just do, just do it with open eyes uh, and um, knowing that maybe the first attempt may not succeed, but you probably if you can play the game, stay in the game, not lose all your money, and then uh, you can try again. And you probably learned a lot from your earlier attempts, and maybe it might take two or three times. But you know, I've seen a lot of clients who um, people we know mutually who've been at it for a while and they tend to get better at it. Like everything else, the more you do it, the better you get at it and they start having more success. So I would say, uh, don't get discouraged, be realistic, but don't be discouraged. Um, and then, you know, try to get help where you can, because all of us are in our little silos, right? We know what we know. We know, we don't know what we don't know. So talk to people who know more, try to learn from others so you can avoid, you know, mistakes. And then hopefully, you know, do what you do well and then get help with all the other areas. So, so that's some great advice. Yeah, thank well, you. Well, thanks for joining us today, Dan. Thanks, Andy. You have a great rest of the week. For listeners, remember, if you like this episode, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us an honest review. And if you're looking for more information regarding connecting with Dan, you will find the links in the show notes below. In addition, if you're looking for more information on growing your business, check out our all-new podcast resource center, Available at podcast.makeeachclickcount.com. We have compiled all of our different past guests by show topic and included each of their contact information in case you would like more information, any of the services I've discussed during previous episodes. Well, that's it for today. Remember to stay safe, keep healthy, and happy marketing. And I'll talk to you in the next episode. This has been the Make Each Click Count podcast. Remember, those that want to make more sales and profits online, listen to this podcast. The ones that want to discover how to do it faster, invest in themselves and their business through Make Each Click Count University. Join our private Make Each Click Count Facebook group or send us an email to info at makeeachclickcount.com. We want to know who you are and any questions that you may have regarding online marketing. <laughs>